Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. being here with us today in person as well as online. Uh, we're going to take a break after this week for our Christmas series. We're going to come back to Romans uh, in the new year. Uh, but today's topic is this idea of uh, the struggle is real. Now, many of you know that I have, uh, let's, let's just call it what it is, an addiction uh, to Chick-fil-A sweet tea. Like, it's bad. They know me. They don't even ask my name. I order it on the app. I walk in. They just hand it to me. I walk out. It's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, and so I typically will order it on the app when I go and, you know, and then be able to step in and, you know, tell them I'm here before I'm even there. And I pull in. It's, man, it's ready to go. Well, about two weeks ago, I had the idea that I was going to fast from Chick-fil-A sweet tea for 10 days. Whew. The struggle is real, okay? And so uh, the very first day, I was feeling real good about myself, like, okay, I'm gonna, here's how I'm going to do it. Because I would typically drop my girls off at school, order it on my app, and then when I get close, I say, I'm here, I pull in, I get it, I come to church, work, do my thing, okay? So my plan was to help me do this and be successful is that after I dropped my girls off at school, I dropped them off and I began to pull away. And when I would normally grab that phone, I took my phone and I threw it in the floorboard of my truck to the other side of the truck where I could not possibly reach it while I was driving or sitting at a light or whatever. So I threw it over there. I, you know, I kind of just tried to not act like it was there. And I come driving down 17. And instead of, you know, I get in the left lane as well. Don't get in the right lane so I don't turn in. And as I get close, I see it. So I just kind of look out this way and drive, you know, kind of to not ever look and make eye contact with Chick-fil-A. I had all these things. And so I get here to church. Man, I'm feeling good. I'm like, man, okay. Made it through the worst part, the drive past it. And so I get here, give me a nice glass of water, which wasn't as good. And I set it down on my desk, get my computer up and going. And our beloved youth pastor, in the kindness of his heart, sends me a text. He's like, hey, I know you've probably already gone, but I'm about ready to go through Chick-fil-A. Would you like a sweet tea? To which I replied, not today, Satan. And he was very confused, I think, in this moment. And so, uh, because for me, like, the struggle is real. And I had to, like, set up these boundaries. And, you know, if maybe for you it's not sweet tea, but you've got things in your life that you're like, man, the struggle is real for whatever it may be. When I think about this topic and what we're looking at in Romans 7 today, I also think about the classic book, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, written by Robert Louis Stevenson. You guys are maybe familiar with the idea. The, the thing with a classic book, I don't know if you know this, a classic book is a book that nobody's ever read, but everybody's actually heard of. It's, that, it's kind of really what a classic book, like you know the story, but you've not actually read it. That kind of seems to be the way that it goes. But in this book, Robert Louis Stevenson, uh, who was a believer, and I believe was truly inspired by Romans 7 when he wrote this book of the internal struggle of good and evil. He writes this book about Dr. Jekyll, who is a, a beloved citizen of his community, uh, who is going, just, just living his life, and, and he becomes frustrated uh, by this internal battle he's facing that wants to do bad, that wants to do wrong and, and evil. And to the point that, you know, Dr. Jekyll is this chemist, and he creates this potion that allows him to separate the good part of him and the bad part of him, to where the good part is only, it comes alive only during the day as Dr. Jekyll, but then at night, it becomes alive as the evil part as Mr. Hyde. And he separates the two in, inside through this chemical, or through this potion uh, that he makes, and he separates these two parts. But the problem is, is that Dr. Jekyll realized that the evil part was far more evil than he had ever imagined. It was way worse. Mr. Hyde's every thought was centered on himself. He was spiteful. He was angry. He was vengeful. He even killed people. Like, it was bad. 
was way more evil than he had ever thought. And Robert Louis Stevenson wrote this. He said uh, that he discovered through his process that man is not truly one, but two. And he even wrote this, that he wasn't a hypocrite, but that both sides of him were completely sincere in their belief, in their pursuit of what they were trying to do. My question for you is this. Does this resonate with you? That you feel the internal battle, the inside, the, the good versus the bad going on in you. Maybe it's in a decision that you're making, a choice that you're making, something you're getting ready to say, an action that you're getting ready to go and to do. We all feel this. Every one of us feels this in our heart and in our, in our mind uh, constantly because there's this good and there's this bad that are fighting over. Part of me wants to do the right thing, but yet there's another part of me that doesn't want to do right at all. But both of them are sincere. They're both wanting to accomplish what they want to accomplish. So let's read on in Romans 7, verse 4, taking this idea of the struggle is real. Uh, verse 4 says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, before Christ, we are all constantly uh, fighting this battle, a battle that we can't win. And before Christ, a lot of people don't even know this battle exists or that's even really going on. They're, they're maybe ignorant to it, but ignorance is no excuse to, to suffer the consequences, ultimately, of the battle that we are all facing. The thing for us to know is this. We, all of us, are unable to not sin. We're unable to not sin. If you're not a Christian, then you're fighting this battle daily. It's a regular thing for you. You may not even realize it. You may not even think much of it. But if you are a Christian, you are also fighting this battle, but you shouldn't be. That's the whole mindset is that there should be this, this shift or this change because when you have Christ, he has already fought the battle for you. And the desire should be to, uh, to be righteous and to be obedient. The problem is that many of us are still facing this battle because we haven't fully surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. Jesus has set the standard for us. He's met the standard for us. And the chains still have a hold on us. So Paul, in these verses, as we continue on, uh, is really speaking of his pre-Christian days, his, his life before he met and encountered Jesus. So let's read on in verse 7. It says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin. By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. You see, if I didn't know the law, then I don't know the standard. If I don't know it, the, the law, I don't know the standard. But the problem is I'm still accountable for living it or for obeying the law. And that's the case for all of us. We can't expect, uh, uh, you know, people that uh, maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you are not a believer. You're not a Christ follower. As a Christian, I can't expect you to live as a Christian. Because you have not been, been a part of this. You have not seen this. You've not been convicted by this. I can't hold you to it because you don't know or have not heard the standard of the law that is set out by God. And the problem is this, many of us, we get so caught up in trying to fix the actions of others instead of trying to get, introduce them to the Jesus that changes their heart. And it has to start with our heart. It's an internal, it's a core thing that we have to have a change of our heart before we can change the actions. If we're simply changing the actions, we're just putting a band-aid over things. We're just covering things up. 
And so as it says in this passage of Scripture, the law is not sin. You see, the law's purpose is to reveal how sinful we are. It's a scale. It's a checklist. Uh, It's almost like it's a mirror to show how far we fall short of the standard of God. Now, many of us look in a mirror, right? Pretty much every day you're getting ready, you fix your hair, you do your hygiene stuff. You look at a mirror. Imagine if on your mirror you had an outline of what you thought you should look like. How aggravating would that be? Every day you're like, oh, I don't fit in in the lines. I need to take some of this and move it to here and, you know, get rid of these and all that kind of thing. Like, I don't fit. Well, it's the same idea when it comes to our relationship with Christ and our spiritual side is that imagine a mirror with an outline of your building, not necessarily your building, your weight, but imagine an outline on that mirror of what your heart is supposed to look like, of your character, of your integrity. The law says, here's what you should be. Now compare it to where your heart really is. Does your heart fit? Has there been a change in your heart, a transformation that ultimately fits into what we are supposed to look like? The only way that heart change happens is through Christ. We can't do it on our own. So what can we learn from this? Number one, comparison destroys my contentment. Comparison destroys my contentment. When we begin to compare things, we begin to see what everybody else has. We begin to see what everybody else is doing, and we begin to uh, become discontent with this. Because the thing is, we can never have enough. We can never be enough. We can never feel enough enough. But here's what I want you to know. Jesus is enough. He is far more than we would ever need, and he is enough. So where we think we fall short in the things of this world, to understand that for our eternity and for our soul's worth, Jesus is enough. Contentment comes when we recognize our character, we recognize our blessings, and we recognize God's love for us and the fact that he loves us as a sinner, as someone with a sinful nature. He loves us for who we are. And he sends his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. Comparison leads us to feel empty and to feel lacking in the things of this world. And there's this term that we've we've seen here just now uh, in in verse 7, but also it's going to come up several times in the verses to come. The term is covet. Now, for some of you, you may not be familiar with this term. Uh, For some of you, you are. Let me give you the, uh, the, the Pastor Scott definition of the word covet. I want what someone else has, and I can't be satisfied until I have it. That's what it means. I, I want what they have, and I can't be satisfied until I have it. And there's a lot of pride in that statement because there's a lot of I. I can't be satisfied. I want what they have, and I won't be satisfied until I have it. It's all about me. It's a prideful thing. And we can never have enough good looks and never have enough wealth or fame uh, or, or, or power. Uh, and this hurts the other areas of our life. But we can never have enough of those things. We're too busy keeping up with the Benjamins and the Kardashians and the Botoxians. And like we're too busy trying to do what everybody else is doing or look like everybody else is looking and have the things that everybody else has that we allow ourselves to compare and to the point of coveting. And then we lose our contentment. It's hard to be content when you're constantly staring and looking what everybody else is doing or everybody else has or how they're able to live. You see, the law says here that a righteous heart A healthy heart is a heart that doesn't covet. That's the goal. It's to be content with what God's blessed us with, with the love that he has for us, with his power and work in our life through the Holy Spirit. Because this world, you're going to pursue after some financial gain, you're not going to get enough. Man, if I only had a million dollars, man, if I gave you a million dollars, then you'd be like, man, if I only had $10 million, man, if I had enough good looks, well, if I only looked even better, 
Or if I, if I gave you a, you know, I mean, if I just had a, this car, well, if I gave you that car, you'd be like, oh, if I had that car. But when it comes to our spiritual life, we have to understand that God's already faced this struggle. He's already faced it for us. And when we surrender our life to him, we can be content. We can experience joy. So verse 8, let's read on. It says, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that, I, that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Well, what does he mean by all of this? What does Paul mean? In verse 9, he says, once I was alive from the law, meaning that before he knew Jesus or even considered the 10th commandment of not coveting, he felt alive. He felt alive. It's kind of maybe he lived that idea of, uh, you know, like ignorance is bliss or what I don't know can't hurt me or whatever it may be. But before Paul knew the expectation, he felt alive and free because there was no standard. There was no things that he had to abide by. What if in today's world, imagine this, what if you lived in today's world where there were no mirrors, where there were no grades, where there were no end-of-year evaluations, where there were no speed limits? Ooh. But then at the end of your life, as you breathe your last breath, you found out, oh, there were all those things. You just didn't know about them. And you disobeyed them. You broke them. See, Paul was ignorant to this, this command of, of coveting. And Paul was convicted because he knew he was envious of others and what they had. His comparison leads to coveting. When we begin to compare, seeing what others have makes us want what they have. And, you know, when it comes to this, this idea of, uh, you know, if we didn't have those things and to understand that, yeah, we would feel better until we found out we, we didn't measure up. Paul thought he was a good person. He really did. He didn't, you know, he wasn't committing adultery, he wasn't stealing, you know, all these kinds of things. But then something in the 10th commandment gripped him when it said, thou shalt not covet. See, the commandment is not about external obedience, but it rather focuses on the heart. And Paul was convicted because he was envious of others and what they had. So if, if comparison leads to coveting, what can we know or what happens when we covet? Number two, coveting destroys my joy. Coveting destroys my joy. The commandment here supports all the other commandments. I think it's why it comes last. You know, why do we steal? Because we covet stuff. Why do we uh, lie? We covet approval or maybe an advantage in something. Why do we commit adultery? Because we covet pleasure with someone that God hasn't given us. See, Paul saw here that he was guilty of a heart of sin. And the root of sinful action is the nature of our hearts. God's word the gospel, is not about behavioral modification, but it's about heart transformation. Let me say that again. God's word, the gospel, is not about behavioral modification, but it's about heart transformation. To change your behavior, you have to have a transformation of your heart. It starts here. Because otherwise, you're just putting Band-Aids over things, you're masking things. You know, my daughters, they're five and eight, and uh, they are convinced that an ice pack or a Band-Aid will, will heal every, will fix everything. Uh, that, a, that, a, that a kiss will heal a boo-boo instantly. 
In fact, my wife busted her lip a couple, you know, recently, and I was like, stand back, daddy's got this one, right? Like I came out, I was like, I will, I will take care of this, right? Like, you know, we have these things that we do, and we put over, you're like, man, if I just put a Band-Aid on it, if I just fix it, ice pack, you know, take care of it a little bit, then we'll, we'll take care of the problem. But the problem is we can't just take care of the problem, we got to take care of the core of the problem, which is our sinful nature. And if we're simply trying to change behavior, then we are missing the whole point. There has to be a change in our heart for it to really set in. We can't just fix the sinful actions without fixing the root of our sinful heart. So how do we do this? Well, God's Word, the Bible, needs to saturate our heart. It needs to infiltrate every area of our life, and the characteristics of Jesus need to change us and to replace the characteristics of sinful humanity that we have. So here's the real twist in when Paul's writing this. See, Paul realizes that his zeal, his passion for religion was fueled by covetous, covetousness. So what do you do if you realize your one primary motivator for faith is sinful? That you simply want to improve and be better in the faith so that you can experience status, respect, distinction amongst others. See, Paul's attempt to keep the commandment made him even worse. And what he means in these verses, as we read just a moment ago, in verse 8, he says, uh, sin produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Saying it was already there, but now it has increased even more due to the, his awareness of it in his life. In verse 9, when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. You see, the sin of all of a sudden became known and actively developed. It sprung up into his life. And then in verse 13, he says, sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might become, might become sinful beyond measure. Sin leads to one thing, and it's death. And it infiltrates every area of our life. Sin in our private life will lead to death in our public life. Death in our relationships, death in our careers, death in our, our family. Anything that is being happening sinfully in our, in our private life will be exposed in our public life. So there has to be repentance. There has to be a true change in a heart transformation. And Paul says here, he's saying, you know, the harder I try to keep the law to prove that I was good and worthy, the more uh, my coveting, my insecurity, my, my, my jealousy flared up. And this is a battle that Paul and us cannot win. We can't win it. And a shift has to happen in our life. Well, what's that shift? The shift is, is salvation. It's salvation in Christ alone. And so for us to experience a change in our heart, a salvation shift in our heart, there has to be a humbling of our own pride and selfish desires in some, where we submit and we surrender to who Jesus is so we can experience salvation in our life, be saved from the sin that we have, to be committed to him and to you know, really just to trust and have faith in his lordship and who he is. And Paul is, is realizing that. So Paul makes this shift. And he's not making this shift as, this, as he's writing this. He's already made this shift because he has just been writing in these previous verses how he was. I was like this. I lived like this. I was found dead. Like those kinds of things. And then there's the shift where he changes in his writing to now he's writing in the present tense. And in verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. There's been this shift. He's now realizing that before Christ, he was this way, but now in Christ, he is this way, but he still is facing this battle. The struggle is still real for Paul, just as it is still real for you and me today. You see, I hate sin, but I still do it. I want righteousness, but I find so much of myself opposing it day in and day out, just like you do. 
It's like being in a trance and knowing the choice that I, that I need to make, but I just can't stop myself. I want to constantly put my happiness over my holiness. You know what? I think God wants us to be happy, but he is way more concerned about our holiness than he is about our happiness. He wants us to be found holy, to experience salvation that only comes through his son, Jesus. Verse 16 says, Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, then it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. See, Paul is speaking here as a redeemed man, a new him that Christ has has taken over. But there's still this sinful desires that he's experiencing in his his body. He says then there, he says, uh, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells within me. There had to be this, this shift that started in the core and moved to the outward, the exterior things that he does. It makes me think about, uh, you know, in, in World War II, the, uh, the Allied powers had taken over uh, Berlin, but the enemy forces didn't really know. They hadn't gotten word, and they continued to have, uh, you know, battles and continued to fight, continued to attack all throughout, even though, like, the core, the center part of it had been done and taken care of, but nobody had, they hadn't heard yet. They had, word hadn't gotten to them from, from the center to the out. Well, here's what I need you to understand is that uh, the word hasn't maybe spread in your own body from your heart transformation to your behavior in, that needs to happen, modification that needs to happen in your life. Some of you need to allow your heart to now change your actions. You've surrendered. You've submitted to your life to Jesus. You say, man, God's changed me. He saved me. But has he changed? And how is he working? Are you allowing him to do so? It's where he is the Lord of your life, not just the Savior of your life. Some of us, we need to tell our body about our changed heart. Some of you need to tell your face, look joyful because you love Jesus and he loves you. Man, be excited about it. That's something we should be praising God every day. Like, thank you, Lord, for another day. Thank you for still, you know, allowing me to have a relationship with you, even though I am a moron and I make a whole lot of mistakes. Man, I, I don't want to put that down. I'm gonna put, that's going to be my prayer every day from here on out. Like, I am a moron, God. Thank you for taking care of the problem. Because that's what he's done. Verse 18, he says, uh, Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Well, what is the flesh here that he's talking about? It's not just skin and muscle and bone uh, and things like that, but it's actually the, uh, the desires of our heart and the, the passion with which we live and the evil things that we experience and think through. Uh, most of our worst sinful desires have nothing to do with our physical body. Think about it. Things like pride and hatred that are sins of the spirit are also sins of the flesh, too, as Paul says here. The flesh is all of you. It is mind, body, and spirit apart from Jesus. It's the totality of our sinful nature that we have. And now, you know, apart from Jesus, let me ask you this question. Apart from Jesus, how much good is in the flesh? There's a very fancy Greek word for this. None. None. Not one bit. Not one bit of us is good. And, you know, a few weeks ago, we were in uh, Romans 3. And in Romans 3, well, we realized that we can still do good and noble things, but that apart from Christ, our hearts are so corrupted, so curved inward on ourselves and away from God that we can't possibly call them good. It's all about us. And so Paul is saying, now that I am a Christian, I have both of these natures existing inside of me. Both of these natures are fighting it out day in and day out in my own life. There is a new me that is saved by Christ and resurrected with him uh, who, uh, that wants to please God, that nature. But there's also this old me, the sinful nature, that only wants to please uh, you know, myself and to do wrongly. And I am facing that battle day in and day out, just like you do. The struggle is very real. It's this idea of I want to do good, But then my sinful side is like, 
Nope. Makes me think of like when we, you know, man, I really want to work out or I really want, you know, I really want to do a diet because I want to get healthy, I want to drop a couple pounds or what, you know, whatever it is. And you're like, man, I really want to work out. And that couch is like, nope. That chocolate cake in your fridge, like, nope. Right? Like you, you make these, you're like, oh, I want to do this, but man, the bad is really fighting at it. It makes me think of this, uh, this meme that I think maybe a lot of you have probably seen, uh, but it's the idea of here's some substitutes uh, for a healthy diet. So here's things that you like to eat, and this is how you can substitute. Let me give you a couple of these. Uh, Pasta. You like pasta? Replace it with zucchini. You like chips? Replace it with carrots. Milk? Almond milk. Rice? Cauliflower. Butter? Sadness. Cheese? Nope. Tacos? This is stupid. I'm not doing it. Right? Like, there's like, there's this good, like, oh, I want to eat healthy. I want to do this. But like, then there's the bad. It's like, no, this is way better. Right? Like, in our spiritual life, it's the same way. Like, man, I want to live and obey God and I want to live for Him and I want to live my life for Jesus. But man, there's a whole lot of sinful things that I really want to do too. Because the struggle is real. You see, as a Christian, we really want to do good and obey God. But man, it's hard. It's hard, isn't it? It's not about trying or working harder, but it's about surrendering all that you are to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. This verse right here, almost like, is this my life verse? Like, I have so many good intentions, but, man, have made so little progress. And then in verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That last statement, let me tell you this. Tell you this. Unbelievers, people who would say they are not a Christian, would never say this. They don't delight in the law of God. It's not in their inner being. It's not connected in their heart. If that's you today, that would be you. But for somebody that is saying this, this is a redeemed person speaking. This is somebody that has given their life to Jesus. Saying, I've repented. I've acknowledged that Jesus is Lord. And I want to do God's law. I want to keep his commandments because I love him because he first loved me enough to send his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. And that without Jesus dying on the cross for me, I am unable to do this on my own. Again, we are unable to not sin. With any bit of sin in our life, we cannot experience or gain access to heaven. But Jesus says, I will die on the cross and I will bridge the gap. I will cover your sin so that you can experience the blessing and the grace of being in heaven in my presence for all eternity. Man, what a gift. That's why we should smile. That's why we should have the joy that's in our heart just explode through our actions and our our facial expressions and everything else. Verse 25 says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Praise Jesus that his grace is sufficient to overcome my flesh and to save me. Praise Jesus. Man, because I've got a lot of sinful things in my life, a lot of sinful desires, and praise Jesus that his grace is enough, that it is sufficient enough to cover that sin. Well, we can sum up verse 25 in our last two points. And the first point is this. Number three, all Christ followers have a constant battle going on inside of them. All Christ followers have a constant battle going on inside of them. We are constantly and daily battling a war on two fronts, battling between a surrendered heart and a sinful flesh. Paul says in Galatians 5.17 this way, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 
Paul also describes it uh, as two different selves, uh, the old self and the new self in Colossians 3, when he says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Both of these are us, even though one is dead and one is alive. When you become a Christian, the old self doesn't just go away, uh, and it really doesn't even lose a whole lot of its strength. Like, it is still there and still powerful. And what's going on inside is a new nature in Christ, and the old nature of sinful flesh is fighting. They are going at it, the old self and the new self. It's almost like a, a medicine, when you take medicine, that the medicine is you know, fighting off a disease. It's, it's battling the, the, the infected cells. And if you ignore or cater to the old sinful flesh, then it will move back in and it will destroy you. It will bring you down. You have to constantly be battling this. One of my favorite uh, quotes uh, that I've read over the years is from uh, an old English Puritan theologian named John Owen. Uh, And the quote is this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Very simple and straightforward. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. We need to constantly be killing off sin in our life, day in and day out. Otherwise, the sin will move, begin to move back in and begin to infiltrate other areas of our life and begin to take over. So be killing sin or it will be killing you. And this only happens through a heart transformation. It has to be a change in our heart. And once we've surrendered to Christ, our heart and our eternity are changed, but now it's time for our flesh. Our fleshly side needs to change. So what does all this talk and comparison and coveting and this this inner battle mean for me and you today? Number four, knowing I have ultimate victory through Christ changes my outlook. It changes my outlook that I have this ultimate victory, that even though I wrestle with the same sinful flesh, I now have a different outlook. Well, why does my outlook change? Because I know my sinful cravings are not the true me anymore. I've been shaped differently. I've been changed. It's the old me. The dead me, not the renewed me in Christ. And we are now in a battle that we can not lose. The outcome has been determined. Jesus has already fought the battle and what he has overcome death and he has overcome the grave. And as you come to grip with this, you will say things in your life like, why doesn't this sin not taste as good as it used to? Or why doesn't this sin satisfy me the way it once did? And the answer is because you no longer, it's no longer expressive of your real self. You now delight in the law of God. And when sin tempts you, you know it's just not the real you any longer. Our outlook also changes uh, because we can be confident that even in the most dis- we can be confident even in the most discouraging of seasons. We get in a dark place and we feel a struggle, feel like things are down, but we can always rely in and trust in that the ultimate victory has already been won. One of my favorite people uh, in history is Winston Churchill, uh, who spoke uh, of his great joy that he felt once the United States joined England in World War II. And it was because, uh, as he says in his statement, I now know it's just proper application of an overwhelming force to ensure the victory. He knew now we just need to apply it properly, this overwhelming force that we have access to, which was the United States joining. But let me tell you this, in our spiritual life, the Holy Spirit is the overwhelming force whose presence in us assures us of victory. That when you have a relationship with Christ and you have surrendered your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to move in and indwell inside of you. It begins to work through you because you have a changed heart. And now your behavior, your actions, your thoughts, everything begins to shift in the change because of your heart and its proper application of the overwhelming force of the Holy Spirit. So even in our darkest days, we can find encouragement knowing victory is clinched. 
Now, I want to make sure uh, that I'm clear with you. I look at my own heart some days, and I get so discouraged. Uh, my struggle with pride, I struggle with envy, self-control, jealousy, resentment, doubt. And man, it, it's tough. It's hard. But I also get discouraged because of my affections for God are cold sometimes, or my desire for my own repentance is weak at times. See, God hears even that cry of desperation. He hears it. He knows the struggle. And he will not despise the broken and contrite. But deep down, like you, I want to seek God. I want to change. I want God more. And that's what repentance is. So what's stopping you from repenting today? What's stopping you from submitting and surrendering your life to Jesus? Because let me tell you this, the struggle is real. There is a battle that every one of us is facing. The question is, are you trying to face the battle on your own? Or are you trying to face the battle on the back of Jesus Christ who died on the cross in your place? Now is your chance to join in the victory and surrender your heart. Jesus is the standard. He sets the standard. He fits the mold. And he upholds the law so that we don't have to. So the real struggle is that it's no longer yours because Jesus has already taken care of it. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, Lord, I want to thank you, uh, Father, for your son, Jesus, and Father, for your word, uh, Lord, that we were able to read it and to dive into it today and to uh, maybe just be convicted about a few things that are in our own life that we're struggling with, not necessarily physical things like diet and workout and stuff like that, but God, that we are really struggling with some serious things, sinful things, God, that are taking us further and further away from you. Father, my hope is that today, every one of us, whether we call ourselves a Christian or not, that we would know, realize, and acknowledge that you have loved us so much that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, down the cross for us. And the Father, that each and every one of us would surrender our heart to you, not only today, but each and every day. That God, as we walk through this world and we face the struggles and the temptation, the Father, we would continue to rely on the fact that when we have surrendered our heart to you and have a relationship with you, our heart has been changed and transformed to be more like your son, Jesus. And that is the beginning. That is the core of what begins to change our behavior, our actions and choices and our thoughts. And Father, we have to quit just worrying about the physical exterior things that we see and start focusing more in on our heart and allow that to change the things on the outside. Father, I pray that those that are here today or watching online that don't know you or have a relationship with your son, Jesus, God, that they would know it doesn't matter where they've come from. It doesn't matter the sin that's in their life or the things that they're facing or even the things they just they don't know. But God, that you would call them to yourself right now. Father, you love them. You want them to surrender to you so that they can experience the grace and the blessing and the love that you offer freely to each and every one of us. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.